update. So it's starting now. Yeah. And we're live. So Tom, uh, I'm drinking a, uh, I'm drinking this Crowns and Hops Pilsner. It's called the Beat Messenger. And um, I got it on the way home today. And apparently it's brewed in Inglewood, California. And it is the first and only, at least in Southern California, African-American-owned independent brewery. First in California? That seems insane. Well, the first owned, I think, well, that's what, I read a news story that said that. um, And I got to say, it's delicious. Um, Mm -hmm. I was going to get my normal uh, Weinstefaner beer, and then I saw this, and I remembered that I'd seen them on Instagram and so then I got up to the front, and uh, it was $20 for a four-pack. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And then I thought, um, I can spend, you know, I would think that, four, I was thinking 14 you know, that's what I was yeah. going for. You know, it's a locally crafted beer. Um, but uh, then I was thinking, well, I can't uh, take back this uh, African-American-owned beer for a German one. <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm gonna pay the six dollar uh white person tax on it for myself um and i will say it's delicious and i'll also say that last night i went and saw john legend so oh, uh-huh. i don't i don't care what you say tom but to me black lives do matter <laughs> and you're not going to change my mind no matter how hard you try <laughs> all right there's a speaking of German beer, there's a tankard song. Well, they're free, uh, pretty much every tankard song is about beer. Yeah. But they have um, one in particular called like No Foreign Beer or something like that. <laughs> and it's just talking about how much they hate American beers and how German beer is the best. But it's funny because if you read the lyrics and you just like swap out like beer for people, it would just read like a screwdriver song. Yeah, you know, someone sent me a band the other day. Um, I went down to this sort of Australian uh, black metal, blackened thrash, because Mm -hmm. apparently Australia seems to be one of the, uh, they kind of have cornered the blackened thrash market um, with bands like Lord Slaughter. but uh, they sent someone sent me a clip of a band called I think it's Destructor Six Six Six. Have you heard of these oh, guys? Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard them, but I heard the name. Yeah, very racist. Really? Yeah. The like guys outwardly they... uh, anti-Muslim on stage. Wow. Yeah. Like in a way where they go like, oh, we're just into paganism, or just like straight up. No, no, no. Like, do not come and take my job. Wow. Which I thought was interesting from an Australian band. I I never heard of that before, but yeah, I haven't heard that either. I don't really have any idea of what it may be like in Australia. Um, that just seems really strange. Were they like, are they straight up right wing guys, I, or are they just? Well, definitely from this video, but I feel like this video was more possibly recent because it looked like they were not playing to a lot of people. And it's maybe mm-hmm. just one of those things where it's like they got the band back together and like uh, some uh, ideas have changed uh, via Sky News Australia, which is the like sort of the, the Fox. Well, Rob, Rupert Murdoch's Australian, right? Yeah, he is. 
So maybe these guys are just watching Sky News Australia during the lockdown, and then they came out. <laughs> just got angry. <laughs> yeah. Um, another band I was listening to lately, though, but that kind of goes falls in line with uh, the more paganism thing, and I don't, I wouldn't, I don't want to speak to any of their uh, beliefs, um, other than satanic beliefs, uh, which is that uh, Swedish band Dissection. Yeah, I know they got in some hot water for doing or saying some kind of dodgy stuff. I'm not entirely. Uh, I think he killed a dude. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. Was it like, was it like an emperor type murder or was it something? You know, I gotta, I gotta look into it. Apparently, the guy killed someone and then he got the band back together after he got out of jail. Sure. Not like Sammy from Fang. Right. Uh, uh, he killed someone, went to jail, got the band back together after that, and then was like, oh, these guys suck. They're not satanic enough, and then killed himself. <laughs> oh, dang. Yeah. Do you ever hear the story of that? I think they're a federal way band called Annie Me. How, how do so you a, it's like, how do you spell it? It's like it's N. It's like the old British rag, Annie Me. Oh, okay. Letter M, uh, letter N, letter M, letter E. Do you ever hear about those guys? No, but I remember uh, some bands like Corvus Corvax or something like this. Some of the like the more like sort of extreme Shelton bands, maybe from uh, that those <laughs> the right extreme Shelton bands. <laughs> the 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 Polsbo hardcore scene. Wow. Well, these guys were I think they were from Federal Way in their mid '80s, and they were like hugely into Venom. And it's pretty early for like a U.S. band to be like that heavily into Venom, like 84-ish. Um, and one of their members flipped out. And well, they're doing like, you know, the whole nine yards with the Satan, Satan stuff. And um, one of the members apparently had a psychotic break and he killed his mom because he thought she was like a robot or something. <laughs> and so he like cut her up. You're on a Chromebook. What's that? Maybe she had a Chromebook. It very well could be. Like she had that sounded like a robot. But he uh, cut her up and um, he got sent to a mental institute because he wasn't uh, able to withstand trial. And then he eventually got out of prison and then he drove his car off like an unfinished bridge, like kind of in West Seattle. Like there used to be all those bridges that weren't finished. Yeah. And he just like just plowed right through it. Oh, no. So that's like a, <laughs> that's the worst story. Ever. I know. Isn't that awful? That's the worst story ever. <laughs> yeah. So on a bright note, no, um, <laughs> the record's like really killer. It's like straight up. Of course. Kind of like killer venom stuff. Uh, like but, carnivore, maybe? Yeah. Way better than carnivore. Um, just, it's just like very venomy. Mm-hmm. Like not much of a thrash influence. Enemy, enemy. Yeah, I'm gonna look for that. That sounds killer. It's really good. I think the record called was called like Unholy Death or something like that. Oh. But they would play with like Malfunction and like uh, Dehumanizers and like those type bands as well. Yeah. I mean that Venom. Uh, do Do you ever figure out who? released that venom stage banter seven inch was it thurston moore yeah and i believe byron but yeah i think it came out on like a static piece i don't know if whether it was an official one or not but i feel like it kind of got 
tossed around before it actually like came out though right like yeah it's probably like a tape that people were uh well because it came from a black flag show right it's like black flag tour so someone probably had it on tape and they're just trading it kind of like jerky boys or something like that yeah because i heard it a million times before i ever saw like a seven inch version of it and i think i saw i don't know if i'm imagining a seven inch version of it but i feel like there is a seven inch there is yeah i totally want it it goes for a lot of money i don't think i've ever actually yeah oh i don't think i've ever actually seen it it's Mm. such a great i've heard it sure oh it's so good like yeah. a bit about like we're from Newcastle. We have a beer called Newcastle Brown Ale, and it will knock you on your ass. That's only like you know three point six percent. It's essentially like a Bud Light. I love that one where they're just like, you couldn't handle it. <laughs> yeah, that's a very like uh, very European thing. I, every time I go to England, like the, uh, all of the English friends we have. We'll we'll go like oh this is a strong beer not like your Budweiser and it's like it's 3.8 <laughs> you know that's an IPA this 3. is the 8. second band that we've talked about so far but that has a, a a song like they're angry about the other beers <laughs> yeah the American beers yeah America, uh, Europeans look down on American beers well yeah of course they do but um the, the, what they don't understand is they like we've since have like a million IPAs everywhere that are yeah. just like you have two of them and you're just fucking unconscious. Yeah, like eight percent. What's what? Yeah. What's a APV for what you're drinking now? Uh, this is a five. This is a Pilsner, and I gotta say, it's really fuck, high, yeah. It's really fucking good though. Like I'm, nice. I gotta give a shout out um, <laughs> to these to oh Crowns and Hops. It's called. Um, it is really good, and I because the problem is is that I didn't want to buy it not because it's the only African American brewery in LA. But I didn't want to buy it because I've gotten burned trying all these like weird uh, underground beers, you know, especially when they try to make something that's not an IPA, which I think is kind of more different. Like if they try to make a lager, that's harder to do. That's like why Budweiser makes lager, because it's like it's 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 easier to do if you're like a massive operation. you know. Yeah, yeah that's why every brewery has like 30 IPAs. And yeah, it's easy to make. Right? Yeah, I mean, I made IPAs and I don't know how to do anything. Yeah, it's like a fucking fuzz pedal. Mm-hmm. That's why everyone makes it. But goddamn that that guy that makes those fuzz pedals that you've been playing, those collector effector guy. Oh yeah, yeah. That's he L.A. Uh, no, no, no. I'm just saying I follow him on Instagram because of you, and his stuff is fucking killer. Yeah, that's like I mean, it's such easy to go down like a weird wormhole with fuzzes. Sure. Um, I don't know. I always find like the history like really, really fascinating, um, and how like a lot of those kind of branched off from you know, one or two original fuzzes from like the early sixties. But I think the thing that really kills me is, is um, I got like an Ampeg Scrambler clone that was made by the uh, collector effects guy. And the Ampeg Scrambler was originally made in I think like 68. And so a lot of these are just really old kind of technology. But what's crazy is so like Ampeg back in this, you know, back in the sixties, at least they were like a very conservative company. And so, like, the guy who owned it, the president of Ampeg, was, like, a big jazz head. And so he wanted, like, clean. It was all clean tones. Sure, that so Gemini like, Ampeg amp that you have is, like, one of the best clean tones I've ever heard. Oh, it's awesome. And, like, the tremolo and reverb are just amazing. But they don't, like, distort. Like, you can't crank right. them. They don't. Re- so they're very, very, very high headroom. Um, and so it's just really funny that some engineers at Ampeg got together and they came up with that pedal. And then someone go, like, oh, that's what the 
that's because it's it, that's what the kids want you know that's a sound because it's so fucking abrasive you know it gets like pretty like air peeling you know it's a cool ass pedal it's funny though i have when i have had the i'm not a big pedal guy be, i'm not a big boutique pedal guy because of the type of shows that i play and the touring and stuff that we do i'm not gonna have a fucking pedal board out there with 400 pedals on it and then like yeah. some fucking norwegian dude is gonna like spill his fucking beer on it. you know <laughs> what i mean steel. Or no, not steel. I don't, I've never had any problem with that sort of thing, but I've just had tons of crazy drunken people knock the mic into my fucking teeth yeah, or yeah. knock the drums over or step on the pedal boards or what spill beer on us or whatever, you know, um, yeah. which is fine. I want people to have a good time. But what I'm saying is I'm not going to put like a $400 fuzz down there. But so the only one that I do have that's kind of boutique is that Watson fuzz. Mm-hmm. And I have one of the original ones of that, and it fucking rips. That thing sounds amazing. And what I love about that pedal, I love any pedal that makes your guitar louder when you step on it. If it makes it yeah, quieter yeah. and you're maxed on it, then it's garbage to me. So that one makes it, because you can always turn down, but if you can't turn up and if you put some effect on it, it actually drops your volume, then you're fucked, you know? Yeah, Live. Sure. So that one's rad, but I will say that I, Played some original color sound pedals mm-hmm. and then played clones of those pedals. And maybe I was playing the wrong clones, but the clones were like nowhere near as like just like gnarly as like those original color sound like jumbo fuzzes. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. As soon as like kind of the parts to- tolerances for the part changes over time. Right. But yeah, also too, I, I would imagine kind of like big musts are kind of notorious where like no two big musts really sound the same, you know? Sure. But they're just like plying together with whatever parts that they have. Yeah, I've been chasing this like kind of Slayer guitar tone and the JCM 800's just not getting me there. But then I was reading about Kerry uh, King plays this one JCM JCM 800 that he uses and then he boosts it with an equal, like a 10 band EQ or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but he also kind of says it's like it's just this one amp that sounds this way and none of the other ones sound like this, you know. Is that what he used on like all the records? Yeah, and he still uses it now and he's got the like the Kerry King signature JCM 800 that has like his EQ like built into the amp. Oh, really? And another thing that I found too, and we were talking about, I don't know if you and I have talked about this in the past, but the built-in amp effects in general are so much better than anything that you can get in a pedal and i wonder if it's because of the the amount of current or power going into the amp versus like a nine volt battery yeah i have no idea like all that stuff like all the uh, engineering thing like totally goes way over my head i always thought with like maybe with some effects whether it's like reverb or a tremolo where that means your signal is passing through different parts within the amp Right. But, yeah, I don't really understand any of that. Were you talking about, like, built-in effects, like a built-in chorus or something? Well, for instance, like the Roland Jazz Chorus, like that chorus, the best-sounding chorus, you're never going to get a pedal that sounds as good as that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, all those pedals are based on that JCM or whatever that Roland amp is, right? The JC120 or whatever. Yeah, didn't that come first before chorus pedals? Uh, I don't know that, but I know that, like, if you do side-by-side with pedals, like, 
I, me personally, I've never gotten a chorus that sounds as good as like playing through that amp. And I don't know if it's just that having it in the amp and the other circuitry and the speakers together uh, vibrating in stereo, because I think they also go in stereo and maybe that's what makes it so like lush sounding and makes it like why, you know, even like like the cure to like Metallica uses that for their like chorus sound or whatever, you know? Right. I, I don't know. I don't know what the secret is. But like, for instance, I have that Music Man head and it has a built in, it says tremolo on the back of it, but I think they just didn't bother to uh, change the uh, writing or whatever. But the circuit is actually a phaser circuit. That's oh, weird. Built into that amp. And that phaser is the best phaser by far that I've ever heard. Like, like people use MXR you know, phase 90s and stuff, and, and I do too, and they're cool, but, like, that phaser in that Music Man HD 150 that I have is by far the m- most superior phaser I've ever heard. And I actually tracked the guy down who designed the circuit um, via LinkedIn and asked him, like, what the deal was. And he was, like, a kid when he made it, and he was working at Music Man, you know, with Leo Fender, and he designed that <clears throat> that circuit like in his 20s and then he I don't know what he does now but he like wrote me back and he just said he worked some office job and he hated his life and like it oh, if I could help him out somehow oh man how <laughs> come he's not in the business anymore I don't know he just I think he got married and then just like maybe realized he'd like made a mistake or something wow well that's a bummer yeah um I know Warren D. Mark I don't know What's that? Yeah. Warren Dur- I think it's Warren D. Martini or um it might be George Lynch. One of those guys has like a built-in rat in his Marshall. Or no, Nuno Benacord, I think. Oh. Like a built-in Marshall. But it's not yeah. available to the public though. No, it's like a yeah. custom. No one wants the Nuno Benacord amp. What? Well, I mean, we were we were talking about love hate earlier and sort of that. I mean, did you watch that video I sent you? Yeah, I did. What's with the funkiness of it? That's where it's it's almost like they heard a little chili peppers because that's when like peppers were really breaking through and they probably thought like that was a little bit of the direction because they looked a little bit like alternative-y too in that video. What go, what was the song called again? Uh, what's the deal with shooting up heroin or something like that? I think that's why they call it dope or that's something. What it's called, yeah. I think that's why that's they call it dope. Yeah. Because it was from 1990, right? Yes. And so that's when like the peppers and jane's addiction and those type bands are coming so they're going for like that little bit of a little less of a straight up glam look instead of going like the shorts velvet pants i'm asking you this because i actually had a viewer email uh or listener email that came in that asked who was to blame for that oh I definitely think there's some chili peppers in it because there's a little bit where he's almost kind of doing it like the vocal line gets a bit chili pepper-esque, you know, where it's like it's not really like rapping, but he kind of does like the funky little vocals. How like the peppers, I I gotta hate saying that name, but you know how in like those <laughs> chili pepper songs where he would kind of go like where he just like spit out all those words really fast. Yeah. And he would just jump around. Yeah, it's going to be I'm going to say because he had some of the moves of uh, young Anthony Kiedis, too. Right. I think I mean, I think that's sort of the obvious uh, influence to that 
song that it, it's, by the way it's if anyone wants to look it up it's love hate doing uh that's why they call it dope or something like that I think so like that yeah yeah um and this stems from a long story but we'll get into that after this but um i think the easy way to look at it is the chili peppers but i was thinking i was explaining it to my friend or not my friend but the viewer who listener who wrote in um <laughs> you're just keeping this poor person up at night <laughs> what is this garbage like 32 years down the line <laughs> well, it's been haunting me for 32 years <laughs> he's 20 years old or he's, oh. 20, he's like early so he's like you know he's really into thrash metal so it's like uh he, he's just curious as to like it's like you know how gen z blames us for the environment oh yeah yeah that makes sense it's like that it's like how did you let like like how like like we go like oh my god speaking of race again how do like we go like oh my god how did you guys have separate drinking fountains right this guy's looking at me just going like how did you allow love hate to be have a music video in 1990 <laughs> well to be fair they did tank no they did and i explained that to him but um so basically the the my take on it was that in some of the bigger cities uh there was this kind of indie rock thing going on where they were sort of like mixing genres and a lot of times the people that are supposedly the smartest people are actually the dumbest people and so these people were trying to do stuff like the like the chili peppers or chai peps as i call them <laughs> uh where they're like trying to do that whole funk thing yeah and then you use and then in the midwest you still had bands like warrant and rat that were like ruling the scene or a motley crew or something like that but underneath the surface in the bigger cities this kind of like weird shitty idea was bubbling up but i think the problem is that these bands were already just so terrible yeah. and lacked originality and also lacked an understanding of what they were like trying to copy oh totally so these guys aren't like oh yeah let's like we're like really into parliament let's try to do something they're like no we're really into the chili peppers let's like do that probably like a producer well and that's what i said to him too i said you know at the time the record major labels were just like oh let's sign the dumbest band of you know idiots that we can just get them to say yes to anything you know oh yeah yeah for there's that too yeah i wonder how cheap those bands were like were they were they signing anything that you gave them, like regardless of like the money? Like how much were they spending on records and tour support? I just can't imagine how much money the labels must have had back then just to like sign so many of those bands. I mean, there's just countless. I mean, it's never ending, like the dangerous toys and just on and on and on. I know if you go into like the the wormhole of like whatever that Vivo thing is, what the fuck is Vivo anyways? I never understood that. I I don't know if it's a part of YouTube or just a separate. It just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But you can just find all these, like, videos of all these just, like, bands that just, like, I mean, out of respect, I'll say that they, they were at least trying and that they did have a video. I mean, you know. Uh, probably had several. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. I, I'm not hating on the people. I'm just kind of the the time of it was such a weird situation, you know. Yeah, I think there's probably a little bit where people didn't really know where music was going. And so when Love, Hate or whatever, whoever started, 
you know, the Montley Cruz and the Bon Jovi Cinderella's were just so, so, so huge. And then as um, the eighties progressed, everything got a little bit more harder edge and you started seeing like, you know, and justice for all came out and that was a huge record. And, you know, like Queensryche and Guns N' Roses and the Colt and stuff like that. And so probably they're thinking, you know, like they may be party boys, but they can add to up their game a little, maybe. And then but, when they're, when like the Chili Peps and the uh, Jane's Addictions came out, we're like, okay, we got to add some something, some flavor, some spices to our sound. How do you feel about Jane's Addiction though? Because I'll just say, oh, I fucking hate him. I love Jane's Addiction. Really? Why? I don't know why. I just really like it a lot. I, do you know them? Do you know one of the guys? Uh, no, I well, you know what? I I don't know him, but I've recently I've run into the bass player on a uh, number of occasions because he is he bought and is redoing a house near where I live, and oh. and I was uh, parked there a couple times and. He, uh i i just said hi and introduced myself and then uh i realized that he was the bass player from jane's addiction and then <laughs> i realized he was the bass player from some kind of monster the metallica yeah he, he tried out for metallica in that he auditions during that whole section where they're auditioning the bass players wow was he in porno for pyros too yes i can't remember what his name is is it steve yes alvary or avery Steve Avery, yeah, yeah, super nice guy, and and no, no, I'm not friends with them, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, like I didn't want to like slag him and then just be like, yeah, I'm friends with the drummer. No, I'm super <laughs> tight with Dave Navarro. Uh, <laughs> you work out together? Yeah, we get piercings together. <laughs> um, no, I I don't know them at all. Um, I did see Perry Farrell at the Playboy Mansion one time when I was there, though. He was oh, DJing nice. with his wife. Yeah. Oh. Um, I don't know what it is. I think it's one of those bands that for me, it's a time and a place that I had these friends when I was 13 or 12 or however, that were really, really into that band and they played them all the time. And I just kind of got into it. I don't know there's something simplistic about it that I like in, in the guitar playing. And I like Perry Farrell's voice for some reason. Really? Yeah. I've always liked that band. I always find it weird. Cause it, there are so many singers out there whose voices to me sound so unpleasant that I never really understood like how they were able to like break through. And so like Perry Farrell was one, the Chili Peps guy, well, know, he Billy Corgan. Sing, What's that? He can't sing Anthony Kiedis. No, but he's been doing it for like 40 years. No, I know. But yeah, he just, but he cannot sing though. You just would think like when the band were auditioning singers, they'd be like, let's find someone else. Um, I am never been a fan of the Smashing Pumpkins. I will say that. I'll, I'll go on record saying that. <laughs> um, I did come home one time, uh, and the Source family, uh, uh, band, the Yahawa, Yahoa 13 yeah. band were, uh, practicing in my backyard. Really? Yeah. And when I walked into the kitchen, Billy Corgan was sitting at our, uh, kitchen table. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. How did that happen? Um, I don't remember. It, it had something to do with Feral House Publishing. Um, mm, they, mm-hmm. they were doing the, they had done the Source Family book, and then there was some talks of a documentary, and I think Yehoah 13 was playing a couple of shows, and they needed a place to rehearse, and we had a really big backyard at the time where everyone used to, like, just 
roll around on mushrooms anyway, so it made sense to have them do their rehearsals there. That's awesome. But then what the heck was Billy Corgan doing there? I think he kind of followed their, like, tenants and sort of followed their, was following their um, spiritual teachings and guides at that point. Um, Which was, like, you take, like, what, I don't know what he was doing, but I, I remember in the book you take, like, a really, like, small hit of weed and then you do like yoga and you meditate and all this stuff that was like kind of their thing for a while um and i think he was just sort of like into the whole idea of this sort of like you know utopian commune you know weird that's really strange yeah i didn't really talk to him i i I just sort of like he had the fingerless gloves on and like you know kind of this like had the hobo kind of look going on yeah yeah even though it was like 95 degrees in la wow I just never really liked that band, but I'm sure he's a fuck. You know who, you know who's supposedly really great from that band is uh, the drummer Jimmy Chamberlain. Yeah, that's what everyone says, but I never really gave gave it enough of a listen. I mean, it's kind of like people when they defend like Blink 182 for their drummer. It's just like, well, I'm not going to listen that hard. Right. And it's like, I'm. That's fine. Maybe he's great. Who cares? Right. I was thinking that the other day, too. We were talking about this the other day is um, people will play me that um, like that Josh Freeze guy who's known as this amazing drummer. And I know him from the Vandals of all bands. Um, And he plays with like he plays with everybody, but he plays with like I think he played with like Sting. Wow. Um, But he also plays with like a perfect circle. And people will put, put that on as like this like example of like this fantastic drumming and and it is it's it is really interesting to me but then it's like he plays with the offspring and they're like oh listen to this look look how good the drum is and it's just like but i'm listening to the offspring yeah come on is it worth it (laughs) i don't know but does he do anything in the offspring that just makes anyone stop and be like oh man because a lot of those guys one of the reasons you know they're just kind of they show up, they could get the job done in one take, and then they leave. Yeah, but apparently, my, my buddy who's a drummer was telling me that, like, he's like, no, listen to it with, listen to him play with the offspring, and he adds something to these songs that makes it so much more powerful and, like, gnarly sounding. Oh, that's, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on, Tom, I was trying to, I was trying to <laughs> project you for your Friday here. Yeah, I just, I don't know, it's, that, that, is you who's the is the drummer like a really pro drummer friend of yours? Uh, he's he's our new drummer. Oh, okay. The guy was he the guy who was hyping up Dangerous Toys, or was that your bass player? <laughs> not, not hyping up Dangerous Toys. We were just he was wearing a Dangerous Toys shirt, and then we just got into a Dangerous Toys discussion because uh, I, I believe they're from Texas, and so Sean knows a lot about. Uh, the, the 80s San Antonio metal scene. Mm. Well, that's something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it, it's just weird because, I mean, it's very easy for, like, you know, a guitarist too, to just be like, oh, man, just listen to that guitar. And then you just kind of end up, you know, t- hyping up um, some of the shredders from the 80s. And, you know, and I don't think there's any doubt that a lot of those guys could play really really well but it's just like so can a lot of people and you know you don't have to like suffer through like a song like when the children cry 
You know what I mean? Uh, now you're talking about uh, what's that guy's? What's the guy's name from White Lion? We got into this last time. Uh, God damn it! What's, but Mike. that guy is an Italian guy. Yeah, I can't remember. I was thinking Red Beach, but he was winger. No, that's winger. That single on the song about child molestation, the solo is fucking ripping. It's very pro. Yeah, super pro. Um, and then the other thing we were talking, I'm talking about, about pro child molestation, like the lyrics in that song. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about the ability of the solo was very professional. Yeah, that's really good too. But it's kind of funny how songs like that make it in the airwaves because, like, I think the older I get, the more attuned I am to like how distasteful some of those songs were. And just when you hear them now, you're just like, oh god. But for apparently Kip Winger, when he does those songs nowadays, he 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 uses references the age of what the person is now, and so it's like she's only 45 or something like that when he sings it. <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome how old is kip winger now oh he's got to be mid to late 50s yeah okay so at the time then he was 25 and she was 17 yeah yeah doesn't make it that doesn't make it right no. uh i'm gonna go on record tom i don't care what you say <laughs> not to play devil's advocate but no no i will say that so that solo on that song is incredibly shreddy. Um, the solo on Little Fighter by White Lion is incredible. And uh, I was listening to Ozzy Osbourne's Ultimate Sin uh, record today with Jakey Lee. And there's some really, uh, there's some real proto um, uh, sweep picking techniques on that record. Yeah, Jakey, I like Jakey Lee. I thought that band Badlands had its moments. I, I don't know if I need to like revisit Badlands, but I remember at the time thinking that was like a step up from like White Lion. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Was Badlands the, the band where the singer had HIV, but he refused to tell anyone and he was just going around giving AIDS to everyone? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a lot of awful stories tonight. <laughs> I think that's true. Wow. I hope not. I hope no one would have done that. Uh, well, I mean, I would look it up. But I don't want to look it up while we're live on the podcast, but um, we're not live. But I mean, it'll be live later. Um, but I believe I believe that to be true. And I think someone listening is going to be like, oh, yeah, that guy had AIDS for sure. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's some really awful stories. I think we practiced in a in a practice space where he uh, where that band practiced and 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 i remember someone in the parking lot telling me that story like hey, hey you know the guy from badlands used to practice here and i said oh yeah that's cool and then they said yeah he had aids and he gave it to a bunch of people wow yeah i had no idea <laughs> i feel bad for hyping them up yeah i don't know why you were so <laughs> into that band i mean now i know why you like them so much yeah 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 makes sense like gg allen yeah I watched um, that documentary about Gigi Allen's brother. Yeah. It was on Showtime. And it's called, I don't know, I think it's called like All in the Family and it followed Merle around. Have you seen sure. it? I have not seen that. I do remember Merle used to advertise in the back of MRR all the time that you could order like directly from him, like Gigi Allen VHS tapes and such. It was really weird documentary. Like one thing that was surprising was Merle keeps a really, really tidy house. Like it's very nicely kept. It's like a very like kind of middle class 
home wherever the hell he is in New Hampshire or something like that. Yeah, Connecticut or something or wherever. Yeah, is. it looked really, really organized. Like I would imagine, like you know, you'd think he'd have like egg egg cartons and just garbage everywhere, but no, not at all. Um, but the thing that was kind of weird is there are a couple scenes where he goes to Gigi's graveyard, and at one point some guy is pissing on Gigi's grave, and Merle of course gets really, really mad, and I think he like punches, G- he punches out the pissing guy. And it's kind of one of those things where you kind of watch it and you're just like, what do you expect from a Gigi Allen fan? <laughs> it's almost like, why would you get mad? Yeah. I, uh, it's disrespectful to piss on my brother's grave who made a career out of throwing shit at people. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's got to be a, a, a line that's drawn, Tom. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, at that, but there's that famous photo of Gigi Allen like in his uh, casket and he's all like, dirty and all like wearing like a diaper and stuff like that and he's all like they just like buried him all like dirty and all like fucked up yeah so why why not put a little piss on him yeah whatever it's just piss it's not like he's alive i mean probably would have liked it yeah that's the thing that too is just like i mean it respect like treating him with any sort of respect or dignity it just kind of seems to go against the whole idea of what Gigi, like he was an outlaw, the most dangerous outlaw, this and that. Yeah. Of course his fans are not going to be respectful. I think that, that that poor guy probably thought he was being respectful. Yeah, I bet he did. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what Gigi did. It was about pissing shit. Yeah. It's like, um, I'm trying to think what an example of that would be like. What would like what would what would an example of that be like with it like if you went to like if you went to like Jim Morrison's grave. Yeah, and you left a joint. Yeah, or or just like a beer or something like yeah. that. You know, yeah. It's the same thing, right? Totally. Or you went to like you went to Mama Cass's grave and you left a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Which is not nice, but that was like the whole rumor that like that yeah. I don't think that's true, but that was like I don't the know. The whole rumor that she passed away from on a sandwich. Yeah. Or let's see, who's a good one? Who died in a funny way? Uh, in excess guy. Oh, that's not funny. What do you, what do you <laughs> jerk off all over the guy's grave? You sick fuck. <laughs> that's terrible. Well, that leads me to uh, maybe ask you a question here, Tom. Um, what? What's going on with the record label? First off, what's what was the impetus for not the record label, but the but the store? How did you guys decide you guys were going to do the store? Um, Hex Induction. Yeah, uh, that's a, our store in Seattle. I'm uh, one of the owners. Um, Dean Whitmore is the main guy, and we've been friends for quite some time. I think we met Dean. I met Dean through you. Yeah, how did you and I meet? That's what I'm trying to remember. Met through Kevin. Oh, yeah. From the Ninja Boners. Oh, yeah, right. And so um, Dean and I just kind of been talking. We were talking. We talked about doing a record store for years. It's kind of like uh, over beers type thing. Um, like, you know, it'd be cool if we did this. Um, and then finally, Dean was ready to kind of take the jump. We worked at Sub Pop for, I think, 20 years. And he just kind of wanted to get out of it and do something um on his own and asked if i wanted to get involved um and so yeah i was totally down and i think we 
it went pretty quick because it's again something that we talked about for a long time and then once we figured out let's do it which was probably in like april march or april of 2019 um, we had a lease by july of 19 and opened in september or october so it was really really quick um we found like a good uh affordable location in north seattle um overall i think the overhead is really pretty good for us so it kind of allows us to um um be a little bit risky with some of the titles that we carry um but it's it's cool it's it's a lot of fun it gets it's, it seems like each month it gets um more and more people find out about it um and we've been able to like kind of expand sections and figure out things a little bit more um but it's a small space i don't know the square footage or anything like that but kind of one of the benefits though of it being small is you're kind of forced to to um carry stuff that you're a little bit more psyched about um so i know every time i go through the bins i really do like most of the you know huge majority of what we carry um so that's cool we um like the jazz section's really great and the reggae section's totally awesome um we've like expanded the metal section which does really well um for like black metal and death metal and stuff like that um and like you know with like the new releases and the more popular titles we we do get those in as well but a lot of our focus is kind of um you know a little bit of left field type stuff yeah i mean i like i mean i've been to your guys store a couple times i went there when you guys were just when you weren't open just to kind of see the space and then i was there recently um, when i was visiting you guys and i like you know there's 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 like amoeba or something like that which is a great store where you can just go and spend hours sort of digging through stuff and and there's a lot of stores like that and there's a lot of stores where they have like kind of like a lot of junk but you can dig through and try to find uh some sort of you know hidden gems there but i also like at this stage in the game like appreciate like going to a place where i can go like oh they're gonna have one or two things that like i'm just gonna want to buy and yeah. i know i'm gonna find them there versus like i'm not gonna spend hours like looking through stuff you know yeah i don't think i really have much that patience anymore yeah. to spend hours and hours like every time i spend more than like 30 minutes you know my back starts getting sore i start getting crabby um and i think it's so a lot of a lot of the ways that it's set up is kind of done in such a way that we're we want to make it feel like a kind of store that we would like to shop at um where you know you don't have to like flip through a bunch of you know 99 cent records um you know, so hopefully it's easy for people to like find stuff and and um, I think it's cool. It's cool, too, because I, I I know I mentioned that that um, it tends to be a little bit left field. But there's also, you know, you could also get like your Zeppelin and Beatles, Sabbath, kind of your Hendrix classic stuff. But I mean, we carry that stuff because it's all stuff that we also really love, too, you know. Well, what's funny is that stuff now is kind of like becoming harder to find totally yeah if you go to like i'm thinking of like a place like uh uh like bob street in seattle is that still around no they're gone yeah okay well i'm just thinking of like maybe like 
whatever record store is in your town that has like a ton of like used stuff and it's not organized or anything like that and it's just kind of out there and you have to flip through like thousands of records to find something those types of places you used to be able to find like zeppelin records and fleetwood mac records and all these all these kinds of uh classics and stables of uh staples of uh record collections and as the internet kind of grew i feel like the, the the desire for those records by like young people sort of outpaced like the record labels uh ability to keep those records in print or whatever or to repress mm-hmm. them at all you know so yeah. now these records have become like kind of rare and and hard to find for for reasonable prices or for what they used to be which is like you know you used to buy like hendrix records for five dollars you know now they're like 30 you know yeah stuff i mean stuff like sabbath i mean it just didn't sit around no i don't yeah black sabbath stuff i never really saw ever like used copies of it for like you know under 10 bucks or something like that i think i would see paranoid every once in a while for like 9.99 or something like that somewhere but like all the other ones, it's never been like you're never gonna see like volume four for like five bucks somewhere, like a good copy of it. Yeah, that's it's been a long time since you could do that. Yeah. Like but, oh sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Um it's it's pretty interesting because like a lot of the, those kind of more classic artists like Sabbath or Zeppelin, um there it seems they've been having like a huge uh it's just always been like a turnover of new fans sure i was stuttering there um but it was like younger people are constantly learning about sabbath and zeppelin and stuff like that which is really really interesting too because like so many huge bands they don't really get that new generation of fans you know and so you go back and you look at you know some band that was really popular in like 87 that really no one or, or a few people under the age of like 30 has ever heard of um and sometimes it makes sense and then sometimes you're like huh that's really strange but you know stuff like zepp and stuff like and sabbath and hendrix it's always kind of interesting just to see like kind of 18 year olds or even younger like getting into that sort of thing i wonder if like because for me when i was 13 or so i had already been really heavily into metal in -hmm. the sense of like thrash metal like in the sense of Slayer, Metallica, The Big Four, Megadeth, Anthrax, Nuclear Assault, of course, uh, <laughs> Overkill, like n- these bands, um, but not because, you know, I was seeking them out. I just happened to be lucky and have a friend whose older brother was really into those bands and they would play mm-hmm. them. Um, and so, like, from from, like, 1988, when I was eight years old, till 92, I was probably like just listening to metal and then whatever else was on the radio and then discovered like punk rock and stuff through friends giving me cassettes and stuff. And so I wonder like, I wonder how many kids in the same sense of like people, cause I didn't, I didn't rediscover Zeppelin or, uh, I guess I had heard Sabbath early on and I just thought, I thought it was cool, but I was so confused by how slow it was. But, uh, I wonder 
are there kids now that are still finding like the dead like i found out about the dead kennedys in 93 so that would be like the second wave of punk rock you know right or the second wave of hardcore or something like that so are they kids that are now finding out about the dead kennedys in 2021 or did you see those records like selling yeah and they keep those in print um and misfits lots of misfits um it's kind of weird i think with the hardcore or with like the punk stuff um the more established it's weird because like i think the bands that kind of came and went um are a little bit better remembered than the bands that kept going so like you know dead kennedy's misfits black flag like the kids i mean it's the kids are into that stuff and they're learning about it but versus like a band that probably like a hardcore band that lasted like 30 years i don't know like not to slag doa or anything but i don't know i haven't really noticed like very many kids buying doa records and it could be just because when they hear a band like doa they're probably hearing like a new record or they don't really know where to start whereas with like the misfits or um circle jerks or something like that you know there's only three or four records so it's just very easy to like get into bands like that versus like a band with like a huge catalog yeah doa is a weird band i don't know i don't know if i could pick like a like a full-length album of theirs that i would be like oh man this is like a totally classic punk record you know but mm-hmm. i don't know if that's just a, a matter of my personal taste because i saw doa in the 90s i want to say in seattle and they were really fucking great and they could play really well they were like really killer musicians like they were actually like super tight and with it yeah and maybe that's because they never really stopped playing you know yeah i think i don't know everyone says they were always amazing live i would figure most people would say hardcore 81 would be the one to start but sure. but yeah i think it's just weird because it seems like kids kind of or at least younger people you know they look for like the canonized stuff um and it's just a lot easier to like get into bands that don't have like this huge discography because maybe you know it's easy to start like the wrong place yeah 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 totally yeah i just wonder i wonder I wonder if like those bands come around again in the way that a Led Zeppelin band does because Zeppelin still gets played on the radio so much. But yeah. I also wonder like how much how much radio are kids even listening to these days? None. Yeah. None. And that's I think the other thing too that's really weird is like kids are into the super, super obscure stuff, you know? And sometimes they'll have like those the kind of blind spots. I don't want to say kids because that sounds kind of crappy, but uh kind of huge music fans where they could talk your ear off about like finnish hardcore from like 1982 they'll know all that stuff that's what i'm saying my friend who's like 20 is like sending me all this crazy australian like stuff that i've never heard before you know or but then do they know stuff like the damned uh yeah maybe but like maybe on like kind of more of like a cursory like part of it and not really listen to it you know because that's kind of what i notice like sometimes people will just be like really into like they'll go deep into whatever this kind of micro genre and then some of the more obvious stuff like they won't know the first couple generation x records or something like that right i wonder if that's like an internet thing where you get into like uh maze or wormhole or whatever that kind of leads you down this path and keeps suggesting more and more like weird obscure stuff when you're just like 
and like say um like fear is never mentioned yeah yeah isn't that weird i mean the first fear record's a classic but you know i i see so many more people who again know about swedish hardcore bands who did two seven inches than a band like fear right right yeah i saw lee ving in some movie not too long ago <laughs> well he's in clue he's in clue He's in Clue, and then uh, I think he, yeah, I think he was in a few movies. Yeah, this was a real like out in the streets or something like that. When did it come out? Um, mid '80s or early, probably like '84. It started the guy from Eddie and the Cruisers. I turned it on Netflix. I was like, oh, this looks cool. And then after like ten minutes, I was like, oh, this is crap. But Lee Lee Ving was in there for a little bit. They were one <laughs> of those weird bands that like they kind of were like, oh, this punk thing's cool. Like, let's start a band. Totally. But, but they could like totally play yeah uh like the drummer is fucking amazing um i i think of like that uh that vibrators were kind of like that too where they were already they were pub guys pub rockers they were like around for like kind of like 10 years or something before um before they started getting into the whole punk rock thing what's that probably like 26 (laughs) what's that it probably means that they were like 26 or 27 when the first vibrators came out they're old men by then. Sure. <laughs> well, when I saw him, the guy was like, ex- like really old. But that, but that just means he was like ten years older than like John Lydon or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. What's about that? What about that band? Um, they did the Oil City Confidential. Oh, Doctor Feelgood. Yeah, I don't. I had a bunch of those records and I sold them. They had. They have a few really, really cool songs, but they have a lot of, I mean, it's just like straight up. Da, 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 da. I mean, they're a pub band. And so they're playing for like guys who just wanted to get pissed and, you know, to cause trouble. But they had like a little bit of interesting thing going. I mean, the guitarist guy was really rad. But like, all in all, you know, they're the type of band that would bust out songs like, you know, Gloria or something like that. Sure. They they had the like that documentary. They will play like a couple like snippets of one song, and you're just like, "Holy shit! How the fuck did I never hear yeah. this?" And then you hear like the rest of the songs, and you go like, "Oh, that's why I never heard this band." Yeah, I remember like Milk and Alcohol, I think, or Cigarettes and Alcohol, or something like that, it was particularly killer. And I remember at some point hearing some songs where you're like, "Okay, so I totally hear where Andy Gill, you know, kind of got a little of his ideas with like that kind of staccato rhythm that the um dr feel guy dr feel good guy had um but yeah i just kind of felt like they didn't have enough of those type songs and then just too much straight up pub it's kind of maybe maybe sort of what we were talking about earlier with like the 19 like 1990 where there's this sort of this confused version of what you're supposed to do but like that what maybe what they were doing was like they were actually going in the right direction but they still had too much of the past whereas like yeah. 1990 love hate was like should have stuck with uh, the hair metal thing a little bit longer, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the love hate guys are constantly going, "What went wrong?" <laughs> well, they did climb onto the Hollywood sign and crucify himself to uh, as a publicity stunt to try to like garner some attention to the band at one point. Was that for that record? Uh, I don't know what it was for. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I watched. I rewatched the footage today though, where it's kind of funny because that newscaster lady's just like. Um, I can see some letters, and it looks like it says 
Jizzo, and, <laughs> and I think this is a some sort of a protest over a political coup in South America that's going on. And then they come back from uh, break, and she's just like, actually, it says Jizzy Pearl, and he's the <laughs> singer of Love, Hate, and apparently this is just a promotional stunt. That's so awesome. You know, like, they're thinking, like, I'm a serious journalist. Walter Cronkite never had to say Jizzy Pearl on air. No. What's uh, rad is... After you sent me that video, I watched a recent interview with Jizzy Pearl, and he's talking about that stunt. But what's rad is he kind of sounds like a little bit more somber than you would think. Like you would expect the interview to be like, oh, God, I'm such a dumbass. Here's what I did. But instead, he's just like very like matter of fact. So, you know, we put up the cross and then it took four hours for anyone to discover me. The label didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) He almost died. Yeah. I think he was a, a bit concerned about his uh, own well-being at some point. So I think that it went from like, oh, this is going to be this crazy stunt to like, I may die up here. And so looking back on it, it's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, I thought I, I just would have assumed there had been a minute like, oh, God, I was such an idiot back then. What was I thinking? But instead, it's just very matter of a fact. <laughs> yeah. I crucified myself on the Hollywood sign. It didn't turn out very well. Yeah, it's not like. Uh, I got dropped. It's like uh, if you talk to like, uh, you know, Tommy Lee or somebody who's just like, oh, yeah, man, we were just crazy. Yeah. Just like uh, we were flying upside down. I was doing all these drugs. And, like I had Heather Locklear in my bed and then the tour manager comes over and he's like, oh, you got to go, Tommy. And I'm like, oh, man, it's fucking wild. And then Jizzy probably. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, yes. So um, then they nailed me to a cross <laughs> and uh, the helicopters arrived. And I was very concerned at this point for my own safety. <laughs> Yeah, totally. <laughs> You're a dope. Uh, so speaking of the like obscure stuff, though, I love my I have these little segues that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you have the label too, and so you you guys have kind of like it, it's not necessarily a reissue label, and you didn't set out to do re- reissues, but you have done reissues along the way, and that I mean that was always like my whole thing with like any label that I would have worked at or did myself which is like i want to put out cool shit regardless of whether it's a reissue or not and now there's this like sort of like there's reissues versus labels that put out new stuff and i guess there must be some labels that have like kind of a crossover thing you know with new artists and reissue records you know yeah definitely this is actually so the label's called dirty knobby um it's something that my wife and I have been doing um for about 12 years um I think this is uh, the veins record is coming out and this is actually the first straight up reissue we have done like previously we did um a record by an old Seattle hardcore band called the drills but that was something that never actually came out so that was just like a demo tape that circulated and so we went and we picked however many songs from the demo and then we threw that on vinyl um and then we did a blood loss record which was an australian band with uh lubricated goat members who moved to seattle and mark arm and guy madison who's now currently in mud honey um we're in the seattle version and that was a unreleased record from like the late 90s and then the last thing was the german record we did by this band called gam which was a unreleased recording from the 70s 
uh, late 70s German, like uh, psychedelic music, similar to like Ashra Temple or something like that. And I guess technically it, uh, it came out on CD in the early 2000s, and then we did the first vinyl. So that was like sort of like a reissue of a CD and sort of like sort of like a first release of an unreleased film. How is that? How is that one sold? Uh, the GAM did really, really well. The drill sold out. Um, Bloodlust did okay. Um, and then, but GAM did pretty darn well. I think like there are a lot of, you know, again, like people are so smart with obscure music nowadays. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And the guitar, the main guy from GAM was this guy named Gunter Schickert. And he did a series of instru- um, records in the late 70s. Some were self-released. Some ended up on that German label Brain. Um, and those got reissued not too long ago um, on a label, German label called Bureau B. Um, so I think that kind of helped out, too, because people kind of knew about Gunter, Gunter through those reissues. Um, and that definitely helped us with GAM. Um, but also, too, I think when we were sending out GAM records for radio and promo, people would read the description and they'd be like, OK, German psychedelic similar to Ashraw Temple, you know, stuff like that, or kind of, you know, kind of dog whistles for um, record people. When you send out promos, are you actually sending out vinyl? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it must be pretty targeted to a few shows, right? Exactly. So, you know, a few radio programs uh, or radio shows, um, p- uh, people who do reviews, um so it's not like just blind blindly mailing out stuff because i mean reality is promo is 99 percent of the time the person who gets it not going to care um but yeah the thing that we got coming out now is the veins and it'll be out in october we just got the sleeves today so everything's actually all here um and we're just assembling them now but it'll be in stores and on our web page in october but the veins were uh early late 70s 79 1980 punk band um they did one single in 1980 then they vanished and flew off to other other bands but it's kind of notorious for being um chris crass and duff mckagan's band so chris and duff and the other guy andy they're all roosevelt rough riders high school up in seattle um and they formed the band when they're teens um and they did this one single, broke up. Duff, of course, ended up in millions of bands. Um, Chris ended up in a shit ton of bands. Um, probably know, most well known for being in the Muffs. Um, and he still plays music as well. Um, so yeah, so really psyched about that. Someone did a bootleg a few years back, and they did such a lousy job. Where I think they probably did it from. Um, downloads like they just downloaded the songs and then just threw up on record like if the songs are in the wrong order and there's weird like kind of audio fade outs um so ours is legit and we worked with like kurt block with the audio um and he also helped us with the artwork as well so it looks nice sounds great it'll be cool how many of them did you press we did 500 yeah is that what you normally do on pressing on the seven inch well, we were, and then we started doing 300, um, but we did 500 now just because we figured 500 people in the world would want it, you know, with like, it's like new releases are just so hard with like seven inches in particular. I mean, it's such like a dead medium um, where 
uh, it's so hard to sell like 300 of a new artist unless you know you're somehow getting picked up by like the indie press or whatever but I don't yeah, know, really like- I think we would do another seven inch, honestly, like on our own, um, unless some label were to ask to do it and it was something interesting. Like we did that one where we did a split with Mike Watt where we covered the Minutemen mm-hmm. and he covered one of ours. But like, nice. just to do like a seven inch at this point, I still have seven inches in my garage from the very first one we ever did. Oh, really? Um, I, I mean, I only have like a couple copies, but it's just, it's such a hard thing to sell. And it's also just such, such a hard thing to, um, just transport, you know? Yeah. I think like kind of the seven inches are used to be, you know, one of my favorite mediums. Um, but like the kind of problem is, you know, when fewer people buy them, that means you're going to have to do fewer, smaller pressings. And then we do smaller pressings. That just means your wholesale cost is going to be a little bit higher because so much of the costs are in production and this and that it's not in the actual pressing of the record sure. like pressing 500 and 300 isn't that much of a dollar difference well um, wasn't it like the same if you were to press a thousand yeah it's really not that much more expensive to right. do a thousand than 500 because it's all like the plating and all that sure. that sort of stuff um but the problem is when you're doing like the smaller presses you know your the costs go up um and then by the time they hit the stores you know, they're $9.99, $10.99. And then people kind of balk at those prices because they're still thinking like, you know, three, four, three or four bucks for a single. And so then it kind of creates like this circle of fewer people wanting to buy seven inches because they're so expensive. And then if you want to do them, well, it just means you're just going to have to do fewer copies. Sure. I mean, for years, the the whole thing at a, for a seven inch was you paid five bucks for it. Yeah. And- paid 15 for an lp you know yeah exactly or, or even sometimes 12. 10 yeah 10 or 12 mm-hmm. and so now to be like oh the seven inch is going to be 11 dollars, and it only contains two or three songs at most and then to go like or an lp's 20 you know it's yeah. like but it is it is the cost of the materials it's not necessarily the cost of like the actual music you know yeah i mean no one's getting no one makes money off of seven inches at all like even i just can't imagine anybody at any at any point but they're just such a cool medium and i think like growing up they were kind of like such my gateway to so many bands where if you wanted to hear something and you know um you go to the record store you drop three bucks on whatever and then you could sure. you know hear all the bands like you know that's how I got into so much of like the local stuff, you know, the sub pop and asterisk or, you know, on and on. Cause you could just go and drop three bucks for a mud honey single. Oh yeah. I mean, the, all the bands that I heard, like that were like, not like famous bands, like, yeah. like Econo Christ, or, yeah. you know, um, which I love, you know, or, um, you know, filth or some of these bands, these Bay area bands, you know, uh, that's how I heard these bands the first time, or even like, God, I don't know, like the Yamos or whatever, just these, these, these bands that were not like on the national radar at all. That was like how you kind of heard them was. Yeah. It's like the only way outside of like live shows. Yeah. Um, but it's cool. And you know, if a band sucked, you're out two to two or $3. So it's right. no biggie. It's not like buying an LP and then you're like, Oh shit, that was $12 and this record's terrible. Right. Right. Well, back then, what I would do is I would just force myself to 
enjoy it. So like, which, like Nation of Ulysses, which I love now, but it, when I first heard it, I just hated it because it had like, I, I was thought it was going to be a punk rock record and then there was like horns and I was just like, what the fuck is this shit? But then I listened to it enough that I just like totally fell in love with it, you know? That's kind of what I liked about like, you know, being like kind of a young music fan. And I mean, it probably happens now. Well, it probably doesn't really happen so much as when you only have like kind of limited options. Sure. You're forced to like really, really know that stuff. Whereas nowadays, um, you know, I probably only hear a good chunk of the records in my collection like five times. Well, I mean, it's like what you were saying about the record store itself. You know, it's a good example of like we have this limited space so we can only do yeah. stuff. And so we can only cram in this sort of thing. And, and I think it's kind of the punk rock thing in general or whatever, or even the pedals that we're talking about, where it's like, I'm only going to have one or two pedals or I'm only going to have one or two chords. And it's like, how much shit can I do with that? You know? Yeah. In some ways, that's a lot better because I do find like sometimes when you get in these wormholes, you kind of start missing things and you start like, I mean, I have too many guitar pedals and it gets sometimes like it's very clearly clear that i'm playing guitar pedals versus like playing guitar you know and just never satisfied with my sound because i'm always like twiddling a knob but i don't know that's i always thought it was cool with like you know when i was a youngster having you know my heavy metal tapes i would just know those slayer records just backward and forward because i only had like 10 tapes or whatever sure yeah of course yeah and in and i kind of was like revisiting uh fugazi the other day just out of like sort of admiration for the fact that they are both playing straight into uh jcm 800s with no pedals whatsoever nice so that last fugazi record ruled yeah no it's great and it's like i I love the sort of the idea of that of like we're just going to plug straight into these amps and we're not going to use all we're going to use is like the knobs on the guitar the volume to like bring the volume up and down dynamically like as you would like if you were like an old school like if you were like muddy waters or something like that you know yeah just like cranking it up and then like bringing it down for like a cleaner section or something like that it's it's kind of an interesting way to look at it you know yeah yeah well um what else is going on with the record store uh you guys uh what's what's the next move there um well, we were we tried. It's actually kind of a bummer because we had a show booked, an outdoor show booked last week that got rained out. Um, hopefully, yeah, uh, I'm gonna assume there's just not gonna be any live music in, um, at least outdoor live music anytime soon because the weather's starting to turn. Um, but the story, yeah, we'll just keep going along. Um, I should mention that we, you know, it's also a bookstore as well. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's funny that, you know, this is the third time we've tried to do this podcast because the audio has been so shit on my end every single time that we keep having to delete, delete it. So now we've talked about Jizzy Pearl, I think, three weeks in a row. <laughs> um, that's a little behind the scenes information for anyone listening. Um, but uh, I got a DM message from Jensen uh, from Death Wish saying he wanted to oh, send, yeah. send me a copy of his book that you guys are putting out. And um, just because because they had stayed with us on tour a bunch of times um, and he was just saying like, oh, man, thanks for letting us crash with you guys on tour. Um, We kind of became this like Australian hub for a minute there where we had all these bands from Australia staying with us, like Total Control stayed with us and 
they did. And I'm trying to think who else. I think one or two other ones. Um, but uh, I was telling him that I was like, oh, yeah, I, I know about this book because of Gabby's putting it out with X induction and uh, yada, yada, yada. So it was just funny. And then I told him that we had talked about it on the podcast, but that I we needed to redo it because the audio was shitty. So, yeah, the, the book is awesome. Um, so Gabby, she's um, she published the book, I think, a few months ago. Um, Jensen, Jensen from the band Death deaf wish she's working i think it should be out maybe in soon like in the next month or two a second book that she's doing it's fiction by um a guy named philip who play i can't remember his last name but he plays in the band omni um who are a really great band um and that's coming out i believe that's fiction um and then we also um she also does the store zine i don't know if you've seen the zine yeah no you guys send it to me Okay, sweet. I think there's another one of those coming out um, soon. I generally will write an article or two, an issue, and I generally pick like kind of the stuff that I figure no one cares about. And so like, I'm going to fucking write about that. Um, the last issue, I did a thing on um, Ron Johnson Records, which is the old UK label that I like a lot that no one gives a hoot about. I've never even heard of it. Oh, it's, I think you'll dig it. It's like um, really abrasive. Um, well, if you got the zine, you should read the article. Yeah, well, I, I have it here somewhere. I skipped <laughs> um, over your piece. So. <laughs> I think everyone did. Um, and that's why I write them. I was like, Nick um, Johnson Records? What the fuck what is this? The... I was like, I know the T-shirts, but. <laughs> I, the next one, I got one about Urban Sax, like a French sax drone band that I really love. And we have like an urban sax section in the store because we didn't. I think it it's really rad to have like a section for a band like that. Yeah, that sounds like something you guys would do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we're uh, we're I probably don't need to talk anymore about that. But um, the zine is really cool. Um, that's something that Gabby does, or she organizes it. Get a ton, a uh, bunch of of um, writers from around, um, poets, writers, like photographers and. Artists, I put some recipes in it. Yeah, put some recipes in there. I'm like a, or you could do review uh, LA microbreweries. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll I'll review only African American owned microbreweries. There's there's one of them. You don't you, you could bring bring back um dude at the movies. Do a oh, movie yeah, review. Good, yeah. You know the problem is about uh, movies is that they're all terrible now. Well, you know, I've been getting a wormhole of like straight to video stuff that I really been digging, like action movies. Like what? Um, like a lot of Scott Atkins movies. You know that dude, Scott Atkins? Uh, I think so. Oh, he's he's a total badass. He's done a bunch of stuff with like Van Damme. Um, he did like Debt Collectors and Atonement. I think was one called Ninja. And I, I haven't seen any of those movies. I gotta look at that. Oh, I'm they're fucking like great. Characters. Um, he, uh, we, Emma and my wife and I, Emma, we watched, um, Universal Soldier Part 4. Oh, Universal Soldier Part 1 is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. That's Kurt, Kirk, uh, Kurt, uh, what's his face, right? Van Damme. No, oh, Universal Soldier. I was thinking of, Sol there's a movie called Soldier with Kurt, uh. Cameron? No, no, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> the guy that fucking Snake Plissken from Escape from New York. Oh, uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. There's a movie called like Soldier with him that's like the worst fucking movie. Universal Soldier with Van Damme is sick. And it gets the it, the series gets cooler. And so I highly recommend part four. Uh-huh. We should watch part three and four. Okay. It's, um, but like part four, the last one like um has Scott Atkins and it's fucking dark. It's yeah. really really brutal. But um. Yeah, it's one of those – it'd be a perfect movie for, like, a dude to watch and review. You know what movie actually ruled that came out is uh, – did you watch the newest Mortal Kombat? No. Is it actually good? It's fucking awesome. You should, yeah. It's one of those things where it's, like, it didn't get any press because it was, like, some, like, really good filmmakers were, like, oh, shit, we can, like, make a cool Mortal Kombat movie, and if we get the rights to it, we can do whatever the fuck we want, and people will buy it because it's a Mortal Kombat thing, and they made an actually, like, rad, super brutal kung fu movie. Is it, like, CGI, or is it... No, 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 it's, like, just, like, really gory and fucked up. Huh. Yeah, because, yeah. like, they were like, oh, let's make it, like, how people want, want to actually see it versus, like, the ones that came out in, like, you know, the 90s or whatever. Right. It's always tricky with those, uh, any video, anything video game related. Yeah, this one's rad. Hmm. Y'all check that out. I, I uh, love Hong Kong, Hong, uh, Kung Fu movies and just like trashy fighting films. Sure. Yeah. No. Any Anything where someone gets the shit beaten out of them, I'm into. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, I think we should wrap it up here. Okay. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll uh, check in again next week and talk more about, uh, you know, hair metal gone awry there's a lot of like what did juicy pearl do after love hate that probably needs to be discussed i feel that he walked around tokyo hoping to get recognized for a long time probably still does yeah i think he does actually i think that's where he lives now huh yeah that's That's a good thing to end on that's where i'm gonna relocate to all right buddy good seeing you yeah nice to see you too man Bye-bye. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.